Welcome back to part two of the onset of World War II. So we left off, we talked about what was happening in post, uh, post, post-war Europe and a little bit of the United States as well, and we briefly mentioned uh, Japan there. But um, anyhow, now we are getting into the rise of Mussolini and what's happening with Italy. So Italy, they were a little upset after World War I. They expected to get some territory, like land and whatnot, after the Paris Peace Talks, Treaty of Versailles. But the rest of the world didn't really agree with them, because they're like, remember how you kind of flip-flop sides? So, you know, they didn't really get anything from the peace talks. Um, So at home in Italy, there was some unrest among the people. And a lot of the people were like, hey, look what's going on in Russia. You see how the people revolted against their government, and then they got new stuff or new ways of doing things? We should do that. So, um, anyhow, we see, um, you know, some peasants uh, seizing land for themselves. Workers started to go on strike and seized control of factories. The government had very little power during this time. Taxes rose and trade was low. The veterans were unemployed, and that was a bad thing because you don't want to have people who know how to have, you know, use guns and um, basically upset and walking around without jobs. So, um, anyhow, Italy unrest. And then here in lies um, the, the, the birth of, and so forth, the emergence of Benito Mussolini. So even though he was kind of a socialist, um, during the war he rejected socialism for nationalism, and that's what we're kind of getting into fascism. So anyhow, 1919, after the war is over, he organized a group of veterans and other people who were upset with the current state of things into his little fascist party, and Ficace, I believe is how it's pronounced in Latin, uh, means a bundle of sticks wrapped around an axe. Um, I guess it was a symbol of authority in ancient Rome. So anyhow, he organized this group, and he organized his supporters into a black-shirted combat squads. Go figure, they were called the black shirts. Very good with naming things. So these black shirts broke up socialist movements and others um, and, you know, rallies and demonstrations until they basically were, they were the only ones in town. So remember, they're not really socialists, even though they're kind of socialists, but they're all about nationalism. And that's where the whole fascist thing comes in. And we'll get into a full definition of the, for that one. But anyhow, so 1922, all the other groups are gone. It's basically just his black shirt group. And they all rallied in Naples and announced a march on Rome to demand the changes from the government. And fearing a civil war, the king, uh, which was King Victor Emmanuel III, um, he said, hey Mussolini, how about I make you prime minister? Basically giving him legitimate power, which that's going to be eventually be the downfall. So anyhow, 1925, Mussolini had gathered, gathered a considerable amount of power at this time, and a lot of people, he was referring to him, and this was his title, was Il Duce. Um, and as Il Duce, he suppressed any rival parties. He muzzled the press, meaning censorship. He rigged elections and replaced elected officials with fascist supporters. So he's kind of doing the same thing Stalin did, almost. Um, so his economic policy um, basically brought everything under the economic control of the government, a la socialism, which we talked about that he was kind of against. Um, No striking was allowed. Um, Everything was for the country. So if you strike, you're going against the country, which, you know, obviously that's not cool. Um, Individuality was unimportant. Um, So if you remember, that was kind of a staple of communism. You were a member of the state, and therefore everything you did was for the state. Um, Propaganda um, spread the word um, of 
fascism and, and Mussolini. There were speakers that would, um, you know, just blare stuff like, believe, obey, and fight. Uh, this was on posters and just everywhere. Men were encouraged to be warriors. Um, women were encouraged to have babies so they could have more warriors. If a woman would have more than 14 children, they were given a medal of honor from Il Duce himself. Um, there were schools that were set to shape, um, to shape the youth into basically you know, military and so forth. Um, so they were taught to obey in military fashion and you know, everything for the country and the state and everything. Um, and now, I've been alluding to this fascism thing, so let's, let's get you an actual definition of what this means. So there's no real set definition. I know, kind of contradictory there, but there's no real set definition because different countries practice fascism differently. Um, the, generally, when we refer to it today, it's any authoritarian government that is not communist. Um, and in the 20s and 30s, there was different forms of it. Um, the, usually the commonly shared thing was glorifying action, violence, discipline, and above all, loyalty. Um, it was very intense nationalism. And they justified expansion through this thing called social Darwinism or survival of the fittest, meaning like, my country's the best, so therefore my country survives and yours does not, and we just keep going on and so forth. Um, so anyhow, um, moving on to a totalitarian rule, and this is the kind of government that we see getting set up here, and this is fascism, but um, totalitarian rule is kind of what they had, and then the fascism is the nationalism part of it. But anyhow, a totalitarian rule is a form of government in which the political authority exercises absolute control over all aspects of life, and that is very much what fascism, fascism is. Sorry, my tongue just decided to go, Hobah. but anyhow. This totalitarian rule, um, generally we see a single-party dictatorship, a la Hitler, Mussolini. The state controlled the economy. We just said that Mussolini was doing this. The use of police to, um, and terror to enforce their will. Yeah, that's Mussolini and Hitler both. The censorship and monopoly of the media. Yep, both of them. Schools and media to brainwash and mobilize the people. Yep, unquestioning obedience to a single leader. Yep. So that's where we're getting at with our Hitler and Mussolini. So... Um, the people, for the most part, actually did like this because we look at it like, oh my gosh, how could you live in a government like this? But a strong and stable government in a time of depression when things were not stable, people are like, you know what, this is, this is good. And um, fascism, this, and this big thing about, nas about nationalism and stuff with fascism, it revived patriotism and pride in these countries. And you know, especially Germany, they, these people had no pride. They were, you know, they were forced to sign the war guilt clause. Um, so, and it had a projection of power and strength in a time when there was no power or strength. There was disorder and despair. And, um, you know, and at first, a lot of people really liked this idea, including the United States. You know, there was, there was supporters here of, of these kind of ideals and ways. So, anyhow, that's the quick version of Mussolini in Italy. So let's talk about Germany now. So if you remember, at the end of the war, a new German government was set up, and that was the Weimar Republic. And it was a new democratic government set up in Germany after World War I. And it was a parliamentary system led by a chancellor, kind of like a prime minister type uh, person. There was the problems, though. It was politically very weak. It couldn't get a lot of things done. People were upset uh, because of the Versailles Treaty, which they didn't like the war guilt clause. And they blamed the Weimar Republic for it because they, they were the ones that kind of signed, this, signed it all. And, and also, this is... Um, 
this is where we first start to see anti-Semitism uh, raise its head here. A lot of people started to blame Jews for economic and political problems, and that's where Hitler's going to jump in a little bit later on here. Um, also, we see terrible inflation going on in, um, in Germany during this time, and inflation as an increase in the total stock of money, meaning there's too much money. And uh, this was because that heavy reparations was $33 billion. Um, the government didn't have that much money, so they just started to print money, lots of money. Um, you know, things that would normally cost 100 marks or German dollars, um, you know, would, would, would skyrocket up to like a million dollars for the same thing. Um, so uh, I'll show you some pictures in class or if you want to look at, uh, you know, if you want to look at some of the different um, pictures I have on my website. But so anyhow, things are not going well for Germany. And this is where Hitler comes. And just to give you a little kind of a interesting thing about Hitler, he was born in Austria in 1889. And at 18, he applied to art school where he was rejected. So, um, Anyhow, that was just a little side history note for you. So um, during World War I, uh, Adolf Hitler participated in the war. And after World War I, he, being a veteran, tried to follow like Mussolini did and kind of do like a little takeover of the government. And so he became the leader of an extremist party and organized his own group of thugs, the Brown Shirts or the Stormtroopers. And the party he was uh, the leader of was called the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or Nazi Party. And we've kind of heard that term before. So he then tried to start a revolution. So he, he climbed on top of a table during a political meeting and fired a gun in the air and yelled, The National Socialist Revolution has begun! Yeah, he got arrested for doing that. It would be like going to the White House and jumping on a table and doing the same thing, and people would be like, you're crazy. They, he'd, actually, they'd probably get shot if they did that. Um, but anyhow, he went to jail. Go figure. Um, and after an unsuccessful military takeover, um, you know, <laughs> and he was in jail, he, um, now that he's spending time in jail, he wrote a book called Mein Kampf, meaning My Struggle, and it basically outlined all the Nazi goals and ideology. Um, it had anti-Semitism, um, which was, you know, kind of uh, hatred towards um, uh, older groups, like um, in this case in particular, Jews, extreme nationalism, racism, and he said that the Germans belonged to a superior master race of Aryans, or light-skinned Europeans, um, and like we said, especially when after the Jews, the Germans must unite into one great nation, and this is through... Um, an expansion called Lebensraum, or living space, basically meaning the Germans need more land and we're going to take over, a la social Darwinism, kind of. And Hitler established um, his goal of having a third Reich, and Reich means empire, so a third empire. So he said the first German empire was the Holy Roman Empire, and then the second Reich, or empire, was the empire forged by Count Otto von Bismarck. And then the Third Reich, which was going to be Hitler's Reich, was Hitler's goal to control Europe basically for a thousand years. So he wanted to have a thousand-year empire. All right, so um, just a little side note here. Hitler started to gain the title, just like Mussolini was Il Duce, Hitler became known as Führer, or Leader, and he ruled terror, repression, and totalitarian rule, a la we referred to earlier. And the government controlled everything from religion to education, um, his uh, secret police, the SS troops, enforced his will. And most people cheered on the fear. Um, he ended unemployment. He ri rev revived German power and pride. And, I mean, everyone liked him at this point. 
As far as his economic policy is concerned, he launched large public works programs like Britain and the United States have done. He started building a highway system um, known as the Autobahn, um, a huge housing program to build houses for people, planting forests and doing a lot of things. He built up um, different businesses, and most of these businesses were building military goods, which was in the violation of the Treaty of Versailles. And all of these businesses were under direct government control, a la socialism. Um, as far as the schools were concerned, Hitler indoctrinated the youth into his programs. He had camps for re-education, uh, known as the Hitler Youth. Um, women were dismissed from upper-level jobs. Pure-blooded Aryan women were rewarded for having more children. Sounds a lot like Mussolini, who we referred to already about uh, as far as women, you know, more kids, and the men, warriors. So um, he started purging German culture of anything that was not German, uh, got rid of textbooks written by anyone other than Germans. Giant book burnings occurred during this time. There's some good pictures of those. Well, I don't know about good, but there's some interesting pictures of those. Let's put it that way. Um, got rid of any paintings or artwork that was done by any culture other than Germans. Um, and then in 1935, he passed the Nuremberg Laws, which put heavy restrictions on the Jews. They were not allowed to marry non-Jews. Um, they weren't allowed to go to German schools, hold government jobs, practice law, medicine, publish books. And people started to flee the country to uh, get away from this, including Albert Einstein, um, who will become instrumental when we get into World War II uh, more. Um, and then on November 7th, 1938, we have the Night of Broken Glass. Um, so just to give you a little history of this, a young Jew whose parents had been mistreated um, in Germany shot a German diplomat in Paris. Hitler used this as an excuse to stage an all-out attack on the Jews. And this was known as Kristallnacht, or Night of Broken Glass. So um, on November 9th and 10th, uh, the Nazi-led mobs attacked Jewish communities, shouting, Revenge for Paris! Down with the Jews! They smashed windows, looted shops, and burned synagogues. Uh, many Jews were dragged into the streets and beaten, and, this made the Jews, and then they made the Jews pay for the damages that were caused on that night. Um, and later on, this intensified with concentration camps, which were the detention centers for civilians cons um, considered enemies of the state. And we will pick up with this more when we get into a policy of appeasement, which is more kind of the onset of World War II and then the actual fighting and everything of World War II. So we'll pick up with that with our next set of podcasts.